Hey, welcome back. I'm the Zim, and this is MFA Chronicles Podcast. Thanks for joining. We have um, Renee Wang joining us today, but before we talk with Renee, I have a couple announcements and just some ramblings to uh, do before I we get into it. I give myself five minutes at the beginning of the podcast to talk about whatever I want. So if you don't want to hear me talk, if you're really only here to hear Renee talk and um, find out more about her, then go ahead and skip ahead. So it'll be five minutes or less when you hear two voices. Otherwise, if you decide to stick around, um, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. This is one of my favorite parts of the podcast is to talk to you, hopefully get to know you better, or at least for you to get to know me better and maybe decide that you might actually like me and go, hey, I want to hang out with Zim more often. Oh, he's got a bunch of podcasts and a YouTube channel and all this stuff. <laughs> let me let me see what he's doing. So anyways, welcome. Glad, glad you're here. Hope you're staying safe and healthy during the pandemic. Um, remember to wear that mask, social distance if you can, when you can. Stay home if you can and when you can. It's important. We're not even close to out of this, so let's do it. Also remember to vote and donate. Uh, if you didn't vote, uh, do it next time. Register to vote and donate to communities that need support. I have two links in the description of the podcast. One is how to register to vote or place to get that started. And the other one is um, a link to a bunch of communities of color that need our support. So check it out. Donate and vote. Donate and vote. To the two, in my opinion, the two best ways to see progress and change happen in our country. If you'd like to see that, donate and vote. Be informed. Get informed to figure out what to vote for and then also who to donate to. All right, cool. Another, I'm making a change. So right now, not a major change, just a minor change, but I do I do hustle the Patreon. I'm hoping to get more of you to decide you'd like to see me be successful and support what I'm trying to do, building this podcast with my art and music and everything I do, my YouTube channel, and you want to see me be able to do it um, more often and better. And, you know, like I said, you know, takes money kind of to make things happen in this society. I want to be able to survive and live. So if you want to see me do that, if you like this, what I'm making, then jump on board, become a Patreon supporter, get on that Patreon. And so what I'm doing now is um, it's patreon.com slash the Zim. And what I'm doing now is everybody that's a current Patreon supporter, I'm starting to add them to the description of all my podcasts and then also uh, my YouTube channel. So every time I publish a new piece of content that's a podcast or a video, in the bottom of the description, I'll put, and you know, thanks to current Patreon supporters, and I'll list their names. And what I'm trying to do is also put a link to something that they want to have promoted, like their website. Cause you know, being an artist, typically, especially when you're starting out, it's you're, you're supported by other artists. There's not really a great, a large audience outside until you get to a point where it's a different place. But when you, when you're beginning, we're typically supporting each other as artists and musicians and whatever creative people, we just do what we can to support each other. So I want to, and that's what it is. The people that are supporting my Patreon are also creative people. I know personally, I know all of them personally. And um, I want to support them as well. So I want to put links to what they're working on 
I've only heard back from one of them, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Um, and they'll, uh, they, I can change it if they say no or if they uh, say something different. But I know all their Instagram accounts, I know all their websites, so I'll pick something and and put it next to it. So that's what I'm doing from now on. So hopefully that helps. You know, more people see more of what's going on. I'm all all about that. I mean, that's a big reason I do these podcasts is to support the community. So let's go. Let's do it. We can, let's do it. All right. It's mfachronicles.com. If you want to learn more about the podcast, you can find it in all the podcast places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. All right, that's good for today. At the end of the podcast, I do a little more rambling, including the credit reel where I actually give shout outs to the current Patreon supporters. So stick around for that. Let's get on with this conversation with Renee Wang. Renee? Hi. Hi, how's it going? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. Welcome. What's that? Happy to be here. (laughs) Oh, cool. Yeah, excellent. Uh, Me too, actually. is good um how are you today what's going on today what did you do today um and actually i wish there was something interesting that i did today um i just um went to my studio a ta for a class actually and um just got back home from from my studio oh okay i like to try to break the ice a little and just ask them just hopefully fun questions or just get to know you kind of questions and i wanted to ask this time what is what do you spend the most of your time doing that doesn't have anything to do with school or art or anything like that? It's like, what do you like to do when you're just want to do something? Just want to do something, man. I mean, I, I wish I have a cool hobby, but I'm actually pretty lame. Um, but one thing I, I like to Saying that I would like to go on hikes is kind of like a cop out. Oh, everyone likes hiking, but no, I, I like hiking. And um, I also like mindlessly driving, which is a really expensive hobby in the state of California. Sure. I'm, I'm from Florida. Like it's much more, that's 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 like a decent hobby back home. But here, it's, judging by the gas price, it's probably, I should probably not do that. But I, I like, um, sometimes late at night, I like to just go out for a drive, like, a crazy person but yeah that's but what i do. have you been able to do that so like how long have you been in california um actually i i've only been here for like less than two years um okay. i did my undergrad in philly i went to the academy of fine arts um then i i moved to california in 2019 the fall of 2019 actually and did you start graduate school right when you got to california yeah, I, I started right away and I moved here because of it. So you've been in school a year and a half then? Yeah, a year and a half. Okay. It's pretty crazy that um, because of COVID, I've only been um, having class in person for yeah. half a semester. So that's been yeah. what not what I expected when I signed up for grad school. Okay. Yeah. So I'm a, so would you call yourself a second year then? Yeah, second year MFA. Okay. And um, yeah, me too. And uh. Yeah, so we got a similar story. We'll talk more about that stuff. I don't want to jump too much into the MFA part yet. Um, But I I wanted to see about this driving around. So when you drive around, do you what is it that you like about it? Do you uh, try to pick destinations or you just kind of get in your car and and just see where it takes you? Or how do you decide what you're going to drive around to see? Um, I usually 
pick a destination. So at least like when I get there, I have something to do. I, if I mindlessly drive, I'll end up in somewhere in Barstow at 3 a.m. in the morning. And then, you know, it'd be a pretty weird ride coming back. So I, I would say like, I would um, actually say, hey, I'm going to drive to San Clemente today and um, then I'll come back because okay. I, I am in Tustin. So yeah, that's, that's basically what I do. And I, I do think the whole driving thing has somehow reflected in my work because I, I actually did, I, I've done some of the paintings about kind of seeing the stuff that you drive past by late at night. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We can get more, digging more into that for sure. Do you, uh, are you much of a, like a road trip person? Do you like to go on long rides? Yeah, I like going on. I haven't gotten that much chance to do any road trips in California. I we I've taken some um, shorter ones to Sequoia. That was like okay. one of the most recent ones. But um, I, I like going on road trips. Um, but here I haven't gotten the much chance to do anything because of the pandemic. Sure. Yeah. What do you listen to when you're on your drives? Do you are you a music person? Do you leave it off or do you put podcasts on? Like or do you yeah? How do you uh? You're in your car just thinking about things what's going on um probably i i'll pull up a playlist of okay. um road trip music from the 70s or the 80s i don't I, I actually i don't listen to that much stuff that's currently on the radio nowadays yeah. I, I usually i like listening to older music actually do you have any favorites um i like i like the eagles <laughs> my dad likes them a lot and um he used to play it all the time when I was a kid. So yeah, I'll, I'll play the Eagles. Nice. <laughs> nice. Brothers. Yeah. All right. Well, well, we'll see. That's cool. Yeah. I like driving too. Like I never thought of myself as somebody that liked driving, but then I went on a couple of road trips and I just really enjoyed the process. Like I don't like city driving, but I like going, just going somewhere. Right. Yeah. Just like on interrupted driving yeah. unless you know it's not like you're stuck in traffic in la for three hours that's that's just awful yeah, yeah. it's terrible i luckily well i'm in san diego so um I've driven, oh, it's, not it's not as bad it's still kind of bad but not as bad but if i ever decide to go to la i've learned you know when it's, it kind of happens to everybody that first moves down here it's like oh la is just right there and then you realize Oh, actually, it's not right there because of how much traffic you have to sit through sometimes. And Right. I joke about, like, you know, if you have, like, a girlfriend in L.A., you guys are in a long-distance relationship <laughs> because, you know, it takes – that. that's, like, half a day. Yeah. That's why I dread going there. Sometimes I like to go to museums and galleries in that area, but it, you have to kind of mm. end your schedule, like, for the whole day because that's pretty much how long it's going to take yeah. So where are you in relationship to the city? Like, where do you live? Um, I live in Tustin. Uh, so it's, um, I'm trying to put a, because, well, I'm, I'm closer to um, Irvine, like that area. Okay. Um, and my, my school is in Laguna Beach. Um, so which is, um, it's so, so it's just in the Orange County area. Okay. Okay. All right. I know that. I know Orange County. <laughs> I still don't know. Like I've been down in Southern California for four years and I know San Diego really well, but I don't know up anything outside that well. And, and LA is weird because it's like, for me, it's weird because it's very specific. Like sometimes when you talk to people about it, they're very particular about 
LA proper versus some of the like Orange County and other areas around it. They say, oh, right. no, 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 that's not LA. Well, it's like, to me, it's just one big sprawl. So it's like, yeah, it's all LA. I don't know, but. Yeah, when the traffic gets really bad, you know, and you're in LA, yeah. that's, that's pretty much it. That's like the distinction right there. Yeah. Uh, where'd, you, where'd you move um, to San Diego from? Seattle, Washington. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty nice. I mean, I love Seattle. I prefer Seattle, but I moved here because I have kids and my ex-wife wanted to move. And... Wow. That's part of my story, but we could, somebody else could, if you want to know more, just yeah, ask. Yeah, I'll start a podcast and we can talk about that, yeah. <laughs> we'll get there someday, but um, cool. What do you do? So is that driving? So one of the other questions, it's kind of like tied into what I just asked you possibly, but let's say, let's say you've got an assignment or you're, you're in school, you're doing something, you're working hard, uh, you're, you're working on a, a piece of art and you need a break you're just like ah that's, i can't look at this piece anymore i need to i need to decompress from that or if you're like stressed out about the news or whatever whatever's going on in the world like when you're when you feel yourself like out of sorts what do you do to get yourself back to center do you jump in your car and go or do you have some other things do you just lay in your bed or couch and go like ah, i'm just not going to do anything like what is what are kind of the some of the things are that you do to kind of bring yourself back like if you got into an argument with somebody and you needed to cool down like what do you how do you get yourself back um well for one thing i i meditate so that okay. actually helps me a lot i usually um uh, over the weekend i would go to laguna beach and um meditate on a beach that's that's something that actually um helps my mental health a lot um but aside from that i'm not the type of person that um i actually i i work pretty well under pressure and stress yeah. so Usually when something external is happening that's bothering me, it doesn't really affect my performance at school or work. So usually I can I can just kind of put up with it. And, you know, I, I'll just tell myself, just, just get over yourself and mm. do whatever you're supposed to do. And, um, you know, just, just be, be done with. Um, yeah. You know, well, like, uh, do, you, yeah. do you think do you think. Um any of that is because of meditation or like where did meditation come from? Did your, did you grow up in an environment that that was taught to you and important or how did you get access to meditation? Cause I know there's also like, is there, there's a different types of meditation and do you have any specific type that you kind of gravitate toward? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Cause that actually, <laughs> it, it actually, it ties into a much bigger story. So, um, it actually, so the meditation I'm doing is called Falun Gong. And um, so this is like a spiritual practice that started in China in the 90s. Basically, you just, you kind of meditate and um, you, all, you also um, kind of follow sort of a spiritual principle of just being kind to other people. Um, but um, I think back in the 90s, the government actually started a persecution against the spiritual group because how popular it got because... Um, because of religion's freedom issues in China, they really don't want people to be doing that. Um, so my mom, she actually, she was the one that actually got me into it. I, I actually didn't know very much about it as a kid, but um, she actually left for the state when I was four because she couldn't go back to China. And as soon as she gets back, she's going to be arrested. People have been arrested and people have been killed because of stuff like that. So just for her personal safety, she actually stayed 
in the state for um, I think like by now almost um, two decades for now. So I actually I wasn't able to see my mom growing up. I every summer I would come from come to visit her in the states. I I didn't move to um, the states until I was 15. So I, I would fly over here regularly to see her. And then that was when I actually started meditating with my mom. Um, it's been really good to me and it's good to actually see someone like her, um, I guess, staying true to their beliefs mm -hmm. despite the really difficult circumstances that they're going through. I mean, I'm, I'm not a person that likes to <laughs> talk about politics and that stuff, but we somehow got into that, but it, that's it's just because um, everything that's going on in China. And um, so I, I think now um, I, I really appreciate that. I can at least um, freely practice what I believe and what's good for me and here. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty lucky um, than a lot of other people that, that are in China. Yeah. Well, say the name of the practice again. Um, Falun Gong, uh, F-A-N. L-U-N-N-G-O-N-G. -G. Okay. Is there an actual physical, like, portion of it? Like, uh, how you sit while you do it? Or is it all, like, just a practice of, like, a, a mindset around it? You know, is there... Did, does that make sense? Is there, like, a way... Yeah. Um, so there are physical exercises. So there's, like, a standing exercise, and there's, like, a sitting meditation. Um, so the sitting meditation lasts for an hour and you have to cross your legs a certain way. So it kind of takes certain kind of endurance to kind of sit through that for that long. Um, and, but, uh, on top of that, it's also kind of a spiritual belief where you follow a set of principles, mostly, you know, you, um, try to be kind to other people, try to be patient, that kind of stuff. Uh, so I would say both, um, mind and body. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm curious. Well, I'm curious to see if how much that plays into your practice as an artist as we go along. But first, I want to let's. I want to ask you how you define yourself as an artist. And these days, I've discovered that I feel like there's two possible answers. One that you give to somebody like me, or a professor, or another student, and then there's one that you give to like your mom or a friend that isn't an artist. Like so. Do you have two answers? And if so, what are they? If not, just however you like to define yourself as an artist. Define myself as an artist. Um, I would say that the stuff that I do, at least, um, I'm trying to convey and sort of universal experience rather than, um, I, I know that nowadays, um, like the sort of activism and art and that kind of, um, Identity-based art is really is really um, kind of prevalent in the contemporary art world. So I'm actually I, I would see myself as the opposite of that. I rather talking about you know what kind of that identity labels that I can you know put myself into. I I would rather people see my work and like okay. Uh, you, you might see some of my paintings on, on my Instagram. It's like, oh, hey, I've been to that airport or I've been to that um, motel or gas station at 3 a.m. in the morning and I can feel the same. So I would say I like, I want people to look at my work and have some kind of um, shared collective experience 
and uh, sort of feel a kind of shared emotion that that you you know no matter where that person is you can sort of connect by looking at my my work that at least that is my goal i don't know if i have achieved that but my goal as an artist is to sort of achieve that is to i i would say unite people um with shared experience by looking at my art and so let's let's talk about your and we'll get more into that i'm curious about you mentioned some of your driving and and seeing and so i well, let's talk about that. So while we were talking about your driving, you mentioned um, going to places and, and, and kind of informing some of your work. Maybe talk a little bit more about about that. Like what what moments have you um, have you come across that that's happened for you and how did you express it? Yeah, um, so I, I will I know we're talking about driving, but I think traveling in general actually has a really huge impact in my work. Um, so I, I started flying alone by myself to the States to see my mom since I was, um, I would say four, that was the first time. And, you know, in the airport, you can actually, if you're traveling as a minor and you don't have anyone else with you, they, I, I think they put a sticker on you and kind of put you in the lounge with uh, the other kids and you have a flight attendant flying with you. So traveling by myself, as I would say, hugely influenced the type of stuff that I do. Um, I because this is a four-year-old, what do you even do on a plane, you know, other than uh, just sitting there? And um, so I, I, you have to kind of come up with ways to entertain yourself and you would sort of try to, hey, I, I'm going to look out the plane window and see that uh, those uh, flashing signals or um, I'm going to try to look at the person sitting next to me, what, what is he doing? So you kind of have to try to search for poetry in these soulless places that I, I spend so much time by myself being in these places, like public spaces when I'm traveling. That's why, um, you know, later on these sort of, um, I would say non-places, the, the, these places of transients like hotels, airports, um, freeway, gas station, they, they be, sort of became the main subject of my, um, of my um, artistic practice, so uh, I would so driving as well. Uh, when I when I came to the states to visit my mom, we spent a lot of time um, road tripping. Um, but I, you know, as, as a kid, you also have to what you know when when you're on the roads for three four hours, you also you became really observant to your surroundings, and you start looking at these um, diners and shops and signs and billboards on the side of the freeway. Uh, so later on, all of these, um, all of these really mundane public spaces, they started appearing in my artwork. I, I couldn't really put them into words until I actually started my MFA program. I didn't really know why I was doing that, but um, you know, now that I could sort of articulate that why why I'm drawn to them. It's probably because of uh, my formative experience of mm -hmm. constantly traveling alone. Yeah. Yeah, you mind if I try to dissect a little of that with you? Yeah, I, absolutely. Um I what what I caught what caught my attention when you were talking about identity, um, you kind of you pushed it off a little bit saying like you didn't you didn't 
you necessarily want to talk about your own personal identity in a way. You were like a, more of a universal identity. And then when you were talking about these places, you're talking about non-places. And then I'm thinking about like um, your experience traveling between the, the States and China. And then you've been, you're kind of exist, you've existed so much in these non-places. I'm wondering how much that plays into that that plays into your like personal i like your own identity lives within a non place because of your experiences and traveling and 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 like the search of search for your identity you know what i mean right absolutely so i think in all of these non places it really doesn't matter you you so the, you become sort of a nameless and faceless passenger in those places so your identity really doesn't matter that much in those places and Somehow, um, now that I think about it, I, I never really lived in the place long enough to call it home. Yeah. So like, growing up, I went to boarding school, and then I moved to the States, and I moved to, from Florida to Philly, and I moved here. So I'm constantly on the move. So I think, in a way, um, I, I'm finding home in these um, places, and yeah. that's where my uh, the foundation of my identity lies. So. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of like in these public spaces, you don't really, it doesn't really matter who you are. And we're all waiting for the plane. We're all getting gas and, uh, you know, sort of, uh, um, I guess, your gender, your age, your nationality, they, those uh, factors of your identity don't really matter. But, you know, we're all kind of mm -hmm. sitting in a place for a couple hours with these strangers and, you know, like who's taking up your personal space with his elbow but i think that some there's some sort of beauty about that kind of um, shared experience within the small space so like within a couple hours of the plane ride uh you know even though we're not talking to each other but we have some kind of shared experience and i think there's something really beautiful about that yeah do you feel and this might tie into some of the choices to be an mfa graduate but do you feel you know, um, like you kind of define these non-places as like that there's an ambiguity about them. There's no real defined, you know, parameters in terms of what's going to happen in a way. Do you feel like you know what you is going to happen for your life and what you want out of it? Or do you kind of just take it as it comes and you don't have a strong, like, this is what I want. I usually, I would say I like to plan out my future and stuff, but usually what I planned end up not happening. And, you know, I, uh, for grad school, I, I applied to a couple other places and I, I was sure I was going to go to another school. And um, I ended up here in California. That didn't happen until I actually, I got the call from Alcat. It's like, Hey, we're giving you a scholarship. So it's just stuff like that. I, I think um, at this point in my life, I, kind of know that what I planned would probably not happen, but some something else probably better would end up happening. So I'm just going with the flow. You yeah. know, I, I do have a plan. Maybe I want to, I want to teach after this, you know, I, it, it's better to be prepared than not, but um, I'm, I'm on board with whatever's coming my way sure. other than being homeless. Yeah, yeah, sure. So you just say again, the school you're at and then say like, say again why you chose it like what was the what was the conversation you had for yourself um going i wanted to go to grad school like what was that conversation um 
the the school is um, Laguna College of Art and Design, um, short for LCAC. Uh, so I actually I heard about my that school uh, from one of my friends uh, from undergrad. He he was like a year uh, ahead of me, so he graduated earlier and he ended up in LCAD. Uh, so I, I I talked to him for a couple times, asking um, how he's doing the program, and I saw his paintings that he posted on Instagram, and he was really onto something uh, before he was uh, doing uh, regular figurative stuff, uh, but. Uh, after he got an LCAD, he started uh, experimenting with uh, these sort of disrupted realism. And I found it really interesting what he was doing. Also, as um, a representational artist, the options for grad school nowadays is pretty limited, I would say. Usually other schools that I did apply, say um, UCLA or Yale, they're, they're more in the conceptual realm. So I don't, I don't really know if my work would fit into those schools, but I, I did apply to all of these schools anyways. Um, but in the end, I, you know, I never really um, flew to California and checked out the school myself, but just looking at the student work, I know that there's a place for me at LCAD for, um, you know, a representational painter like me. And I, I know that there's some sort of revival of realism happening in the community surrounding LCAT. So I, I was really excited for that. Yeah, so I would say, you know, one, um, good words for my for my friend who, who was um, attending LCAT at the time. Then two, uh, you know, I'm trying to find a school that's friendly to representational artists. Yeah, that's interesting. We could get, I wanna see if we can explore that idea a little bit farther um, in a minute, but let's continue on this idea of the school you did choose and you know since you said you didn't visit um you just kind of applied this this might this question might be a good one um that you know what was what was something that um was a a i like to frame it in the, the sense of a good experience that you didn't expect like what's something that kind of manifested or happened once you got on campus or once you got started in your studies and it's been a year and a half that you know like oh wow i had no idea this was going to happen this is really cool if there is something like that um i would say how um closely knitted uh, the artist community is at lcatch at least for just i i was so fortunate to know all my peers at mfa um, before I was a little nervous going to grad school because I know it's it's unlike I, I came straight from undergrad and you know all the people around me are the same age uh, so I, I didn't think that I was gonna have anything in common actually with the people in my program because the first day at orientation and I found out oh some of them have already had kids and they're married and you know they're so much older than me so I, I didn't think that I was gonna fit in where have anything to talk about with any of them, frankly. But um, I, I quickly learned that these people are just fantastic. And um, we, we have the, a pretty um, wide age group. We have someone who's younger, even younger than me. And we have someone whose kids are older than me. So, but they're, they're all amazing artists and they all bring something to the table. And, um, you know, and then the good thing of having older peers is like when, when I'm being an idiot, someone can always, you know, like I, 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 for, I forgot something when we we're out there painting plein air 
And my friend would be like, oh, you know, I have that, um, you know, because I, I have three kids and I'm always prepared. Yeah. So something like that. Yeah. But it, it's just really the, the um, wonderful people that I, that I get to know um, from the program. What do you think was one of the main reasons that was so like able to manifest was are you all like together a lot um so you kind of inevitably get to know each other um it sounds like i mean is the school um it's like a, it sounds like it's probably mainly a paint like painting school like yeah so they only have um they only have game art and painting for the mfa program which I don't, I don't know if anybody is in game art. I think I met one person on the first day of orientation and I never heard her, mm. <laughs> heard from her ever again. So I, I don't know what happened to that kid, but everyone else is a painting major and it's a really small program with, um, okay. I would say they, like each year they have like 10 students and the entirety okay. of the program, it's like, you know, 20 or more people. So it's a really tightly, okay. um, it, it's a, it's a pretty tight community and, Everybody knows each other really well. Uh, and we also do this thing, uh, which is like the Monday discussions. You know, it, it's sort of like your uh, regular critique, but, um, you know, you would have, uh, you know, each week there would be three or four people showing their work and you have a really, you get a really good conversation going. And we would also, um, one thing that we're asked to do is to write a critical statement for each other. Like, if you know, if me and, two other people are going that week we'll write about each other's work and um the voice of an art critic um it could be an art critic where someone just really hates um hates the person's work so yeah so um we would we would write it in the voice of that and um we would have to come up with a response right on the spot so that's a really good exercise and um and it's fun you know we're just roasting each other's work <laughs> and that's a well, that's a really guilt-free way to roast each other's work because there's like it's not me um who's saying it it's karen from the pta who's who has a problem with your with your paintings yeah yeah i'm curious i don't know i found my program in particular it's it's really hard to foster community i found it's not as Oh, really? you really have to work at it but it's but it also has you know more departments and so i'm i'm guessing that that plays a factor like you know we're not all essentially in the same classes at the same time in a sense where you just have to find ways to make an active effort to do that so it's just it's interesting to hear different um experiences that way and yeah i think lcat is pretty unique in that sense because um we're like Hey, there's only 10 people here. All right, you better like each other. <laughs> Otherwise, you're you, you're stuck with them for the next two years. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. You know, like you better learn to like each other. So, and, you know, on top of that, um, for the Monday discussions, well, you know, usually we have food and that's a, well, you know, that would get people going. Um, we, yeah, we, it's not like uh, we're just ordering takeout. Um, yeah. Our best lady, she actually, she would cook for us uh, in the kitchen. And um, that was pre-COVID. All of that is gone now, but we would have food. And when it's someone's birthday, we buy them cakes and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I would say how small the program is actually, it, it's beneficial to, you know, forming a sense of community. Yeah. What about the other side? I like to explore the kind of other potential side of the, the best parts with like the worst parts and <laughs> what, whether it be however you want to answer it. I mean, I know we're, 
you know, obviously COVID kind of can bring out, oh, it sucks that this is going on, but maybe you have enough experience pre-COVID with the school itself or with just, you know, a generalized like things I wish I knew before going to grad school or maybe part of this conversation for you could be, have you had any of those um, talks about going to grad school for art so quickly after undergrad? Sometimes it's pretty encouraged to take a break for, you know, a reason, experience, especially since we're artists and we're pulling from our experiences to do things, which sounds like you've had a lot already. So maybe this is a moot point for you because of all your, all your traveling and whatnot, but still life changes as you get older and different things. So I don't know what about going to grad school are things that you could offer as advice about just the general idea or advice about the program itself going like now that you've been in it as well, I could go, <laughs> I need to stop talking at some point, but now that you've been in it going like you wanted a rep you know, a painting program or something that seemed to fit your program, but have you ever thought about, well, maybe if I did go to a more conceptual school, it would have pushed me in a different direction and it would have kind of exposed me to something different than, than just the thing I already know, or, or I don't know, take it how you want. Like, what would you offer as advice? Um, I would say definitely one thing that I learned after going to grad school is um, it, it sort of broke the illusion of um, after grad school, everything would be fine. Um, I, I think for the artists who, who think, you know, you know, if, if I can only just get an MFA, that's not how it works. <laughs> you still, I, I think half of the people in the program, they still have absolutely no idea where they're going to go from here. Yeah. Um, and also on top of that, um, you know, a lot of people, they're, going for teaching after this um and, and and so am i i'm trying to land a teaching job um, to support myself after this but it, it also how much um does the teaching job actually provide that's one thing that i had a misconception before coming here um so we actually have a class called pedagogy it's basically the you know it's teach you how to be a teacher since so many people wants to teach after this. And we had someone um, who was an alumni coming in to give us an artist talk. Well, from, you know, what, from, from her experience at least, um, you know, at, right after MFA, there is the possibility of landing a full-time teaching job that's basically zero. And, um, you know, you have to start as an adjunct professor and teach at three other places and that would not also be enough to really live in california so on top of that you better be selling your paintings doing workshops and um the summer after uh, before school started you have to find a summer job somewhere so it, it's really really hard to support yourself even you have a pretty steady teaching job and um so she she worked really really hard to actually, she she ended up getting a full-time teaching job in Colorado, and I think, and she she told us all that stuff that you have to do before achieving that. And it, it, it's not, um, you know, as you think that if you have an MFA, some, someone's gonna hire you, and that that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. There's so much, so much other factors that um, go into that. Yeah, so definitely, you know, that that kind of broke my illusions. Like, oh, you know what, my I'm, I'm all set after my, <laughs> Yeah. What about, is there anything I've learned that there's a kind of a stigma potentially around going to grad school and being forward about wanting to teach? Was there ever, has, 
Have you heard of that idea at all? Has it influenced you at all? Or does your school encourage teaching? Is it like, no, come come here and we'll teach you how to teach? Or or was there this like, or had you gotten advice to not mention that you wanted to teach and just go get your MFA and then, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I would say LCAT is definitely pretty encouraging about um, having students teach. We, we literally have a class to yeah. teach you how to teach. Well, I, I, I guess that the school kind of acknowledges that most people come here because they want to teach after. Yeah. And um, that th that is sort of the case that um, my, my school actually ends up hiring a lot of um, MFA alumni. Uh, I would say uh, at least a third of a teacher at my school, they came from the MFA program. So they're, they, they're pretty um, open to, you know, it's like, hey, you got your MFA, you learn how to teach, come here and teach. Yeah. So they, they're naturally, it, it's like a, um, yeah, so so they're also being resourceful of cultivating um, a bunch of good teachers and make good use of them. But again, you know, it's, um, I, I know that um, just in the artist community in general, there is a stigma around teaching is like, okay, so you got no way out, not selling your paintings, okay, I guess I'm gonna teach then. Um, which I, I don't, I, I know so many people that they, they teach just because they like doing it and um, it's rewarding for them and um, they make so much more money selling their paintings than, than teaching, which it's funny because I thought it was the other way around. Mm. Um, I, I thought, you know, I was like, oh, I, once, I, once I start selling my paintings, uh, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to teach anymore. Uh, but I, I actually, um, you know, I, now I'm TAing and I actually, uh, teach some workshops outside of school. I, I find that I, I really enjoy teaching actually. Oh, cool. That's good. Yeah. One of the, I'm actually in a class that's basically the same pedagogy kind of class right now that, um, I'm TAing for as well. And we were in a conversation and what she told me was this concept of, you know, all the jobs that she's gotten and what, other people and how she's, you know, talked to other people as well. It's so it's rarely ever do you get a job by submitting an application. It's usually somebody, you know, right. you know, so I don't know that it's just an interesting thing to think about. It's how important the, the networking aspect of graduate school can be and trying to take advantage of it. Yeah, that's right. That's why uh, that's like I said before, you better like each other. There's like, this is a 10 people that could be your future network and you better get along with them. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. A lot of the time it really is the mentors that you worked with, um, you know, the teachers that you TA for. So you really, um, for most of the time, it's by recommendation rather yeah. than, you know, submitting a job application. Where are you with I saw you just mentioned this kind of um, tree, essentially, or how do you say it, like a multi-pronged approach to a career in the art world with teaching and selling and workshops and these different things. And I noticed on your Instagram account, it says, you know, open for commissions. So it's like you're you're already trying to you're already hustling that angle. I'm wondering if you've had six a if you've had success with that and b, like, what are your thoughts more around like Instagram and social media and your work and, and the relationship you have with it and um, how that is, if it's important to you or if it's kind of a back burner thing because you're in grad school, like where, how, like, where are you at with that relationship right now? 
Um, I'm definitely someone that's pretty terrible at posting on social media. Uh, actually, I have um, I I have less than half my work up on my Instagram just because some that I, I sometimes I just do it and I, I just don't want to post. I don't feel the urge to put something on my Instagram. And that's for, that's me with social media in general. You know, I, before I had a personal account and I deleted, it was like, who wants to see my stupid face? Like who, who wants to see that? So I, I, I guess it's that mentality of um, why would I do this? That I, I just don't like um, posting uh, on social media that much, but that has definitely been kind of detrimental to, um, doing self-promotion because Instagram is so big right now and galleries, they also look for people on social media. So I'm trying to get better at this. And I tell myself that I have to at least post something twice a week on my Instagram um, to get the engagement, which is a thing that I was like, do we, I, I kind of envy the artists 10 years ago because I didn't have to do that. And I, I, it's just not something that I'm really into. But again, um, I, you know, I put, in my bio, there's like, I'm open for commissions, but if nobody hears from me ever on social media, who's going to commission me, right? They have to see some stuff in order to do that. So that's why most of the commissions that I've done mostly came from people that I already know. Uh, it's pretty rarely someone would message me on Instagram asking for commissions. That's why I think I need to get better um, at, um, you know, posting so on social media. Uh, yeah, so it, it actually, I guess, like, um, once you get into this routine, it's really not bad. But now it just, you know, I, I don't post anything for so long. Now I feel mm -hmm. like I'm obligated to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm on the, it sounds like we're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Not that I'm successful at it, but I have no aversion to posting myself and my face and my ideas and everything on the internet. Like, I mean, obviously, I'm doing a podcast is a big part of it. I mean, just different things like that. So what I'm saying is, if you ever want to have the conversation about those ideas specifically, I think there's a lot of ways um, that maybe I could give you some advice in that realm. Oh, absolutely. Just, yeah. to, just to think about. The one thing I wanted to ask, though, based on that, how you just described that was, do you feel at all that you're kind of, um, uh, I'll say, strained relationship with social media is enough at this point yet to really determine what it is like is it making your desire to get into teaching even stronger because you're like i don't want to do that other side of things or are you still early and you really don't know yet like how that might um progress in the future yeah i would say it's, it's a little too early to say um i i know that um there is a difference between doing really well in social media than actually selling really well. There is, well, I, I know um, my, my previous mentor that he has no social media whatsoever, but he's, he's making a really, really good living um, out of just being in touch with galleries. And I don't think um, his target audience is anyone who uses social media. So he actually, he's doing fine without it. Um, you know, I, I would say like, I would love to find ways to, actually um you know sell my stuff without uh you know posing on instagram once a day because i know sometimes it really depends on you know if the algorithm and um how active you are on your account and that kind of stuff so once you get into that sort of rabbit hole you it's it's hard to i would say 
at least for me, it probably would become a huge distraction trying to handle the social media side. But um, yeah, so I, I was, but I, so I would say, you know, it's too early to say, you know, yeah. what exactly I'm going to be doing, but hopefully um, I, I'm not saying, you know, I, I'm not going to post on social media at all, but I, I definitely like to get better at that aspect. I also have a terrible habit that I only want to post the work that I'm a hundred percent happy with. And that really is this, there are paintings that just been sitting in the back of my studio that I was like, oh, that thing sucks. I'm, I'm never, no one's ever going to see it. And so, yeah, the, there's that, um, yeah. the, which has none, has, has not done any good for, for, you know, this Instagram engagement. Well, I think there's a, there's truth to curating your, you know, what you present, but I also think there's the potential to, present more of the work, work in progress and the behind the scenes and the personality of you um, than just the pieces itself. I mean, it, I don't know. It's a long conversation that is multifaceted for sure of how to approach it. I'm curious, have you thought at all about uh, yet like, you know, or, or maybe, maybe frame it in the way that you're hopeful. Like you kind of already did. You talked about your old mentor that's, has a career and is able to have a relationship with galleries. Like, is that kind of what you hope? Is that an, a, a, a direction that you're focused on with your work um, to have representation to try to sell? Um, yeah. Is that, or like, how do you, how would you want to sell work? Like, cause I've, I'm have, I'm trying to figure out that same question myself. Cause part of it is, and I don't know, maybe you could, maybe this is a good, thing to talk about as well. How much in um, LCAT is, is there a conversation around not pursuing the galleries? Like the gallery is a, you know, you know, showing your work outside of white walls, you know, it does that. Cause I imagine since you're painting, there might be a interesting relationship with that. Maybe it's more status quo of like, no, this is what we do because this is the form of art we make or are you guys thinking more like, well, let's paint more public works in some way, mural work or whatever that's not within white walls? Um, I don't know if any of that inspired a thought. Let me let me know. Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I would say just specifically in our program, um, I would say most of our work would are really actually pretty palatable to galleries. You know, I, the stuff that I make them. Um, um, most of my peers, I would say, you know, the work, it, it, you know, it's not saying it was like, oh, you have to be edgy or uh, whatsoever. But um, I, I would say most of us, our stuff um, would actually do well in a gallery setting. Um, I, I, there are um, people that have done uh, public art or murals, actually, um, um, Tim Smith, um, one of the professors at LCAD, he also does murals uh, and that kind of stuff. But I would say most of us are aiming for, um, you know, having a gallery representation. And there are, you know, because just in the circle of um, contemporary realism, there are galleries that people are like, oh, okay, so this is like the prestigious one. And, you know, this is what we're aiming for. And I, I think, you know, there, there, there are times that you end up like, oh, am I making the work for the gallery and making the stuff that they like? Because I know there are, that's 
problems, at least even talking to uh, my mentors and professors, like they have the problem of, you know, the gallery only wants to see a certain type of things. Um, so they have to keep making them. So, you know, the, in the future, we'll probably encounter problems like that. Um, I don't know if um, there are other ways to, I guess, aside from, say, doing murals to actually um, have, um, you know, sell your work. And, you know, I, I, I think social media is another way that you just do, you do commissions and you sell your prints. And that's a good way of um, reaching your audience directly. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I haven't really found out other ways to do that um, without the gallery. I think painting is pretty, it's like a medium that's pretty dependent on, on galleries, which is, which is frustrating. And, you know, you have dealers, you have galleries yeah. and um, they, sometimes it could be a lot to deal with these people. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. Cause I know for my, my influence going through this, you know, MFA process, you know, pretty much 90, I'd say 90% of the time, whenever the conversation comes up, it's like, we're encouraged to not think of making art for the gallery. We're encouraged to think about making art in other ways, whatever that may be. Um, but, um, so I'm just, I'm trying to put myself in the, your position, like being in class with you or in a group conversation and curious, like what the professor or the person that's leading the conversation is, if that comes up, like, are they kind of guiding you saying, yeah, like, this is the way it is. So, you know, like, like what you just said with, there are certain galleries that want certain things. So they're kind of telling you how the system works, but not trying to say, don't go into the system, I guess. Yeah. I think they, you know, they're not telling us not to, I, I think um, one great thing about Alcat is it's, um, it's pretty, it's pretty honest with you, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of what's going to happen after you leave the place. Um, especially um, the MFA program. So it, we had in our pedagogy class, we had someone from um, Arcadia Gallery uh, coming in and look at our work. And, you know, the person would be really honest. It's like, okay, so your stuff is not the one that I'm looking for, but it's not, well, they're not telling you to change your work or change the way you work. They're simply telling you, it's like, hey, look, maybe you can go for this gallery and this gallery, you know, it's not our thing then if you want to be our thing, you, ha you have to do this, this, and that instead. So it's, um, it's not trying to create some kind of illusion. It's like, oh, just keep being yourself. Everything will be fine. It, it would actually tell you, you know, what your target audience is. And, yeah. you know, it, it, this is all for us. And if you want to sell paintings there, um, you know, you got to do something else. So, you know, no one's actually trying to change you. And, um, actually, our mentors would also encourage you not to make work for first your thesis, second galleries. But um, by the end of the day, I think they would let you know the, what the reality is, which is really, really good. How about you personally? You know, you brought, you brought up a couple of good points and I'll put I'll frame it in the context of my my own process where mm -hmm. I, I have a really hard time um, making my work in a in like a vacuum without considering the fact that I'm in an MFA program and there there's this argument, no, you should be making the whatever it is you want to make. But for me, it's like the influence of what your people around you want to see out of you right. ha has to play a factor. So 
Talk to me a little bit, if that's a factor for you, you mentioned two things, the thesis work, and you mentioned we've been talking about galleries and what they work. Have you had that conversation with yourself over this year and a half of like, you know, have you ever had a conflict with the choices you're making based on some of these external ideas, some of this more audience idea, or are you able to stay, no, this, I'm just making what I want to make, you know, like how, has there been a conflict at all or how have you wrecked, justified it? Or do you feel it's even a, a conflict at all? Like, are you okay with having influence of the, your environment? Yeah, I would say um, I would consider myself pretty lucky because the things that I want to paint is actually what people want to see. So I, I'm just making the stuff that I want to paint. And usually, um, you know, my mentors, um, you know, people outside the program, they're like, oh, yeah, keep doing whatever you're doing. And again, you know, my my stuff is, I would say, rather pretty palatable than comparing to, um, you know, probably um the work that are being produced in other MFA program. But I've seen um, people in the program that um, they decided to change their thesis three months before the thesis is due and they want to paint something entirely, which really that takes a huge amount of courage because if I were in their shoes and I was like, you know what, I'll just get this over with and after MFA, I'm going to paint whatever I'm going to paint, but this is about getting a degree. It's not about what I want to paint. Um, but there, there are people that are like, uh, what the hell? I'm gonna paint what I'm gonna paint, and it really doesn't matter what I'm gonna get. Um, it doesn't matter if I pass my thesis or not. And I just want to paint this, and yeah. I'm gonna paint this right now. So I, I think it that that's pretty unusual. But I I don't think I I would be able to do what they do um, if I were in their shoes, and if you know what people expect from them is yeah. different than what they actually want to do. So I I would say I'm pretty lucky that you know, those, there's, there is no conflict between the two worlds, but I've seen people having that happen to them. And, um, or I, at least, you know, just, um, one of my friends in the program that, you know, he decided to also kind of change his style in the second semester and do something that's pretty different than what he was doing before. And, um, you know, that, that's more work in terms of completing your thesis on time, but he, he just went with it. And I really admire that. It's an interesting conundrum, we'll say, or a pair, not paradox necessarily, but so now that, you know, I've been in this program, this idea as well. And one of the things that has come up for me is, you know, your thesis should be less of an ending and more of a beginning. It's like, it's what you plan on doing. It's like more about, what you want to continue to work. It should be like this, this bridge to the next thing. So it's like, if you have that thought of, Oh, I'll just do this for this and what I want for myself later, it's it, it creates an interesting conflict. But, um, what about the pandemic? Like has the pandemic played, how much has it played for you? Like what, what are some of the, um, changes that you've had to make, if any, in your practice, what has been the, the school experience been like for you? Um, explain some of the experience of, of this moment we're in. Yeah. That's like when you start, Ooh, no, but, um, uh, in terms of my, um, personal work, I thought it actually is, it's pretty hilarious that, um, now everyone look, would look at my paintings and like, 
is that a is that a COVID painting? I mean, because I was I was painting those um, sort of um, solitary figures in public spaces or like stores being closed uh, way before the pandemic started. But after that, it somehow became um, socially relevant somehow. Yeah. And uh, people, oh, is that is that a COVID painting? I mean, I, I don't want to be known as a COVID painter, but it's really interesting um, how uh, my work has been interpreted differently after um, the pandemic started. Um, in terms of school, well, we went fully online, um, I would say starting uh, March last year. I, I still remember the whole, uh, hey, you guys are going to be gone for two weeks. We're going to have a longer spring break. Yay, more spring break. And then it turned this, then we had the longest spring break in history. As a matter of fact, we're still on spring break at this moment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're still, we're still going online. So it's definitely been really strange that, um, you know, I, it's not what I expected to have um, two thirds of my MFA program be online. Uh, we still have access to our studios, which is great, but none of the studio art classes are held in person. So, um, you know, it, it's been pretty strange, like to zoom and paint and trying to, you know, like holding up your paintings and showing like, oh, I can't really see it because of a glare. Can you see it now? Now? What about now? Um, and um, doing uh, critiques over Zoom without really seeing the work in person. So I think those have all been pretty frustrating. Yeah. Uh, also, not to mention the kind of the overlooming, like what I'm going to do after I get out of this place. Yeah. What about, you know, has or have you found solutions? I should say, I'll, I'll frame it this way. Have you found solutions for yourself or your school found any solutions for showing work to each other that kind of bridges at all? Do you have um, a, have you learned how to, you know, like represent your work better since you've had to show it in a photo or video form or has the school set up like a room where you set up artwork and people can go see it when they can or how has some of those the school and yourself solved some of these limitations of being the setting up a room idea is great i'm stealing that <laughs> my school i wish they could have done that um so one thing that i did is to raise our tuitions no <laughs> well that they, they actually did i i don't i can't really explain to you know, how that it's even more expensive to be online but that's a that's something that that's a longer story. Yeah. But um, um, but I would say the thing that my school actually tried to, you know, actually try to main, try to, I would say maintain a sense of normalcy is probably having the studio open. But now, you know, you have to um, go through um, like health check, um, you have to go through training to be on campus, they would have security um, watching everyone. Mm -hmm. and, someone looking over your shoulders to make sure that you're wearing a mask in there. Um, but at, at least they're, um, they're hiring people to, to do that, to make sure that we could still um, at least paint in our studios. Cause I think that's, that that's what uh, most people came here for is to have access to that facility and have the community around you. Um, another thing for the studio, for the studio class, it was pretty tricky in the beginning because that happened in the middle of the spring semester. So nobody knew what to do. And uh, usually like, you know, last semester it was, uh, well, the, the spring semester of 2020, 
which is usually um, when I'm meeting with my mentor, we don't know what to talk about because we were not seeing the work in person. And it's like, well, what did you do yesterday? I, I went to Del Taco. And that's usually how, that's how the conversation would, <laughs> would go. Um, but then um, I guess we, we found out more effective ways of, um, hey, like where we're doing, so doing the Monday discussions of showing each other um, our work. And actually one really good thing about being on Zoom is that you could actually use an annotation tool to draw on someone's painting. So that's great for meeting with your mentor or if you're trying to show someone um, what changes they could make on their paintings that the annotation tool is pretty great. So I would say um, there, there are aspects of like technology of um, being able to kind of draw or paint on, on someone else's painting and that kind of stuff. There, there, there's, there's like a great side to that. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, it, it is frustrating not being able to just see the paintings in, in person. Um, so, but the school um, for the class of 2020 who graduated last year, they did, um, they couldn't have a senior show, but at least they um, actually came up with a virtual exhibition. So it, it would be a 3D gallery view. It's like you're entering a gallery and you can um, actually go 360. Uh, well, it's not quite the same. Yeah, um, I don't but, like them. We've yeah. done those. I've been in a few of those and they, we've tried them and other places have tried. I don't, I personally don't like them, but yeah <laughs> yeah i guess they were like you know what this is what we get yeah. we'll take it so hopefully we would have something in person yeah. this year what about well let me let me see if you have this experience so we've you know basically we've been doing this you know zoom learning distance learning for the same amount of time and maybe it's all circumstantial for me but i feel like this semester starting now like the 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 majority of other people around me have all finally started to understand how to do it. So it's, it took everybody like a year really. And the classes I'm taking this semester are so much more on point with understanding the technology and just the fluidity. And just like, it is interesting to me that that's happened and I feel it. It's, it's I actually kind of feel it. So I'm curious if, do you feel the same thing? Do you feel like people are finally starting to understand how to function through this? world we're in or are they still kind of fumbling around or or were they on point or did they get it i don't know quicker yeah i would say um, much better than when we first started yeah. well the professors finally learned that you can't sit in front of a computer screen for six hours yeah you can't just you can't sit here and do this for six hours that's <laughs> a physical impossibility um but we were trying to do that when uh, we first switched online and everyone's trying to um, so, you know, we had a class where you, you know, you go to museums and galleries and you would just take field trips and that would take up the whole day. And, um, so when, when we first went online, the professor trying to make up the time. So she was like, oh, Hey, let's, how about we have six hours of lectures and you just sit here. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I never heard a better idea. You know, this is exactly what I want to <laughs> be doing for, for the entire day instead of, you know, visiting a museum. Yeah. Um, and the people responded pretty badly to that. But I think now, um, you know, even for the studio class, the instructor understands that, um, you know, instead of having someone sit here and watch a demo for two hours and just go let them paint and um, have them step away from the computer screen and just, just work on their paintings. Yeah. Uh, so I think that aspect is, is getting better and better. And um, 
yeah, and then especially for for the older professors who are struggling with technology, it, it, it's it's always pretty hilarious. Like trying the first couple times they're using Zoom. I remember um, during one of our critiques, one of the the um, professors uh, who was I think it was like a it was like a guest professor. He was only teaching a couple classes. He forgot to unmute himself during break, and he was just yelling to his wife, "Like this toilet paper that we got is a little thin. I don't, I don't really like this kind." And everyone heard him, and he forgot to unmute. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. No, I um, I feel like one of the things that I've noticed, at least at my school, um, so we have we're a semester system, and most of our classes are two days a week, and a lot of the well, two of the classes that I'm taking that would be two days a week decided we're only meeting once a week. So they're kind of the the new buzz, one of the new buzzwords is asynchronistic kind of learning. And um, and so they, they, you know, we're saying one day is an asynchronistic learning and one day is synchronistic, you know? Um, so that's interesting and that's really, I think it's really kind of cool and it makes sense to me because I was having the same problem. Like I had like, I would have classes back to back and I would just be sitting right here where I'm talking to you for so many hours i was like oh my it was like my body was starting to hurt from it i know so you would see on the screen if you have the gallery view that people are switching off their cameras slowly <laughs> like you have like a full house in the beginning and you see well this one went dark and the other one went dark and in the end everyone turned off their camera <laughs> they're like lying flat in their bed and yeah so it, it wasn't a it wasn't a great situation yeah. well we we've gone past our hour so are we good still got a couple, little more time yeah yeah okay cool um i only have really we'll, we'll we'll bring it home we'll we'll ask a few more questions um but we're getting close to finishing it up and the one i have uh now is just um, where do you think in your career and your life as an artist, you've learned the most about being an artist and how has it affected your practice? Hmm. I mean, I, I know this is like kind of cliche. We're doing an MFA podcast, so I'm going to say MFA, but no, no, I, no. I would say um, here okay. because, um, you know, uh, again, when I was an undergrad, um, I also sort of lived in a vacuum. It, you know, it's a Oh, you you go to class and you go home and and that's it. You don't really engage in anything else. Uh, I would say I really I'm I'm sort of exposed to the greater artist community around me um, ever since I got into grad school and I started thinking about you know what I'm gonna do beyond this point. You know, one reason I decided to go to grad school is because I didn't think about stuff like that when I was in undergrad. So when I was done, I was like, oh crap, what I wanna I'm gonna go to grad school because I have to be. <laughs> You know, I, I'm not ready for to not be in school yet. Um, so I guess after after this, I mean, I kind of have to be ready. Otherwise, I have to go get a doctor's degree in painting. I don't know if they have that. So I think it's it's really good that um, at least um, for us, they, they they're uh, consciously preparing you um, to be to be out there. Yeah. Is there any? And this doesn't have to be a art specific answer could just be a kind of a life answer, but is there any philosophy and maybe it's tied into some of the meditation you've done, but is there any philosophy that you carry with you that you apply that you, if you, when, when like this opportunity right now, like you would like other people to consider um, that it's helped you, whether it be a better artist or a better person or whatever it may be, or just something to consider like a, some philosophy or mantra that you have that you let you consider passing on 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think um, one of those philosophies um, for meditation that I that I practice is to, you know, rid yourself of attachments. It's not like um, we have to become monks and we don't want nothing in life. But uh, usually, when when you're trying to actively pursue something, usually, um, and when it doesn't go well, and that kind of sort of kills you. But when you have the mindset of, um, you know what, I'll take whatever it comes and I'm not particularly, you know, so say I want a teaching job, but I'm not that attached to the idea of the teaching job. And if I don't get it, I'll find something else. So um, I, I know that, you know, at least like for, for people that are, that are in the program that, you know, they all have some kind of goal that they want to achieve after they get out of the program, but uh, sort of, you know, you just see where life takes you and um, don't be married to one idea. Um, you know, I, I know I could be, you know, working for a gallery and I could be running workshops. I could be homeless. I can, <laughs> you know, I can also get behind that. Never tried that before. But, you know, just not to be overly attached to um, what you're trying to do and just go with the flow, I guess. Yeah, that's great. Um, we pretty much did it. I've, thanks a lot for being a part of this. I uh, I do, I'm serious about it. If you wanna use me as a resource at all for questions about social media, I have ideas and thoughts. You might have other people that know more than I do and that's fine too. But uh, if you wanna continue that conversation, that'd be great. And also, you know, I hope we can check in again down the line um, when those decisions have, you've been confronted with those, uh, you know, potential non-attachment decisions. Um, if you end up becoming a teacher or if you end up getting associated with the gallery or if you end up homeless, like maybe we could talk about that. Um, I know, a year from now, we'll check in and yeah. I'll be filming in front of a tent and yeah. I'll be like, it's me, I'm living under a bridge. Well, no, but yeah. thank you so much for, for offering because um, I, I think I do need, um, I do need help with um, social media and that kind of stuff because I'm, I'm pretty bad. For someone that's my age, I don't, I'm surprisingly not great with social media. I don't, I don't like posting on yeah. social yeah. media, but I'm trying to get better at it. And, you know, any kind of um, suggestion is helpful. Awesome. Well, let's keep in touch. I mean, I'm in San Diego now. We're not that far away. So, you know, I, you know, I've been doing a bunch of the past interviews I've done recently are because of that Canva show that we're both involved with. And, um, yeah. you know, all of them, all of them are, California based people right now. So hopefully we'll be able to like meet up in person at some point. And oh and yeah, that'd be really, really cool. <laughs> to be able to and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. All right. Well, I'm going to stop the recording, but don't hang up and I'll finish some administrative stuff. But once again, thank you very much for being a part of this. All right. Yeah. All right. You made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks a lot for hanging out with us today. Really appreciate it. Um, this is what I like to call credit real time. So credit real, we got Rowan Chamberlain, Michael Knapp, and Matthew Bacher, all current Patreon supporters. Thank you very much, you guys, for kicking it with me, being helping me build this thing. I love it. If you want to do that too, it's patreon.com slash the Zim. Got some incentives over there you can check out. So let's go. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. Really appreciate it if you decide to do that. Really just appreciate you listening to this, period. Especially if you've made it now. I'm sure this is the time where, oh, we're done talking with Renee. Let's turn this off. <laughs> so there's that. I'm uh, full on grad school mode. It's uh, trying to hustle, make sure I not overwhelm myself. I might I have three more podcasts coming up this weekend, which might be a little bit more than I should have done. But 
what are you going to do, right? I already put them on the schedule, so we're going after it. Let's get it happen. Let's make it happen. All right, cool. I really appreciate you. Um, thanks a lot for listening, and I'll catch up with you again soon. Be loving, kind, and patient. Peace.